Let's take our Bibles here tonight and let's go to 2 Samuel and chapter 2 as we continue through the life of David here. And it's very easy to look today in our world and to look at all the, the different things that are going on and think that we are living in troubled times. Uh, you can look at the economical situation, you can look at uh, you know, different things politically, and in David's case, that, it was that way as well. David is now living in a world where Saul is now dead, the, the God's anointed is now dead, uh, Israel is fractured, and, uh, and the person who is working right under Saul, Abner, the, the general there, as we're going to see here in just a moment, is working against David. And it's safe to say that David is living in troubled times. And so we come now to, to, to second, uh, second Samuel 2. We weren't here uh, last week. In fact, for the last couple weeks, we had that wonderful weather with that campfire service. And then we uh, were, we were uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 last week as we looked at the Lord's Supper. And that was a blessed time. But we come here now to 2 Samuel again. If you'll remember with me, uh, chapter 1 was a time where uh, Israel was realizing uh, the death of Saul. And this Amalekite comes to David with news that uh, he's killed Saul. And of course he didn't. He just wanted a reward from David. He was lying about that uh, to try to get that reward. And it showed us who David really was. David was not a man who was going to grant a reward for slaying the Lord's anointed. He was going to stand behind the Lord's anointed. No matter how much evil he had done, he was not going to forget the good. And we looked at what it is really to rejoice not in iniquity. Not just rejoicing not when someone is doing something wrong, but when something wrong happens to somebody, not rejoicing. Not rejoicing, and that's exactly who David was. At the end of chapter 1 there, we see that song, that song of David, that lamentation where he cries out. He says, the beauty has, has fallen in the high places, how the mighty are fallen. And he, and he spreads out the goodness of, what, of who Saul was and his sons were and really lifts them up. And he says, if you have something bad to say, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, don't tell it in Gath. Tell it not in Gath. Don't take the, the wrong things that this leader has done and spread it out there for everyone to see uh, to, to where the, the enemies of God can then rejoice. And we kind of applied that to our own lives. When we see people doing that across uh, the, the world today, we, we see a lot of bitter Christians doing that. And they'll spread things on Facebook or, or podcasts or other things like that. And uh, we, I, I talked for a long time about that last time just saying how, how evil that is. That's our modern day telling it in Gath. Across, the, across the, the, the universe where the enemies of God can now rejoice that this person, this man of God, this person has, has fallen into sin or has done something wrong. We don't need to be talking about that. that we don't need to rejoice in iniquity. And we come here to chapter 2 now, and David is now come back to a place of trusting in God. And he's enjoying that, that renewed fellowship with God now. Uh, where, where once he was in Gath, he was serving under a, a rogue, uh, a, 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 an evil king, and, and kind of hiding out in Ziklag there so he could do what he wanted. Now he's come back to a place of serving the Lord, and he wants to inquire of the Lord. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 2. 
And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinon, and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite, and his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto them, uh, unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord shew kindness and truth unto you, and I will also requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened, and be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the, the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. And now really we enter into Second Samuel chapters 2 through 4, which are very dark in nature. Uh, they, they have a lot of fighting, a lot of killing, a lot of, if I can put it in, in, in these terms, mutilation of, of different people. And it's just absolutely awful uh, a time in David's life. However, it's during this time that David learns to rest and allow God to bring him to the place of kingship instead of, of, of uh, trying to do it by himself, allowing God to bring him there to a place that God had promised him when, when he was anointed with, with oil by Samuel. And what I want us to take away from this here tonight is going back to what we, we talked about and what we learned and gleaned on Sunday night about God's all-encompassing love, his steadfast love, his mercy, and sheltering us with his wings. Because of his sheltering power, because he is the Almighty, we can have rest in restless times. So let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us here tonight. Father, we love you, and we just come before you and thank you for your word again tonight. Lord, thank you that we can freely meet here and learn from you. Now, Lord, I ask you to teach us how to access your rest. In Jesus' name, amen. I really only have one point here tonight, and that's on purpose. For those of you that are tired here tonight, you don't need a lot to think about, but I want you to get one point here tonight and some supporting thoughts, okay? You can have rest in restless times, but rest was not automatic with David. The rest he had was seized. It was seized. There was action on the part of David to take hold of that resting, the, the accessing that resting where nothing, humanly speaking, called for him to be at rest. This was an absolutely horrible time that was, that was taking place. You say, how, how do you know that's true? How do you know that he was at rest? How do you know that he was accessing that, how he was seizing that? I think it starts right in verse 1. Look there again with me. It says, And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord. He, he, he was meeting with his God. He inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And, and, and when everything was pointing for him, when Saul's dead, uh, things are in, in fractures, 
and everything's pointing for him to just march right in and say, hey, listen, God's anointed me to be king here. You know, let's, let's get on with it. He, he turns away what, from what human sense would tell him, and he waits and seeks God. And, and this is how we know David's back on the right track, because when human reasoning would have told David where to go, when, when he could have listened to human reasoning, he asked one question to the Lord, to the Lord whither shall I go up? Whither shall, whither shall I go up? Where, where should I go, Lord? And what does the Lord tell him? He says in the end of verse 1, and he said unto, unto Hebron. He said, go to Hebron. And, and ironically, uh, the word Hebron is a city whose name meant fellowship. David was enjoying this renewed fellowship with the Lord. And now he's being told, I want you to go to the city of fellowship. I want you to go to this place that is known for its fellowship. And it's there in in verse 4 that we find another truth about rest being seized. Look at verse 4 with me. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. We're going to get to the men of Jabesh-Gilead in just a moment, but I want you to, to take note of this other thing that happened in David's life he received a fresh anointing. David first sought the Lord, but then he humbled himself and he received a fresh anointing. It wasn't that the first anointing that he received didn't mean anything. But here in this passage, there was a recognition now of God's purpose and his plan amongst all of these other people that are realizing what God is doing here. And instead of saying, you know, oh, I was already anointed by, by Samuel. I have all the anointing I need. He humbles himself before those people and allows them to anoint him king and recognize and take part in what God was doing. And now he's be, becoming king over that, at least that southern portion of Judah that, that, that's happening there. In our own lives, if we can take this for a moment and apply it to us, we need a fresh anointing of the Spirit of God for any new work of service that we do, for any new day that we come into. We can't think for a moment that we can step into a day without the Spirit's enablement. And David knew that, and that's why he humbly submitted to this fresh anointing of oil. Now, I don't expect you to start anointing each other or husbands or wives start anointing each other with olive oil every day uh, before you start into school, kids, uh, <coughs> getting some olive oil put on your head. Now, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Spirit of God being needed. And I know you may have heard that term thrown around, you know, that we need a fresh anointing uh, and it might go in one ear and out the other. And you may ask, what, what does that really mean? Um, when you received Christ as your Savior, you received the anointing of the Spirit of God. The, the Spirit of God moved into you. Uh, you got all of Him at that point. There's no need for a second salvation or a second blessing. There's no need for a second anointing in that sense, in, a, in, the, sal- in the salvation sense. But when you come into a new day, It is right for us to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I simply need you. I need your enablement. You need God for the the tasks and the the callings that God gives to you for that specific day. It's right to humble yourself 
before God and receive a fresh anointing, a fresh enabling from Him as you seek Him. I wonder, did you walk through this last week seeking God and asking for a fresh enablement from Him? Did you ask Him uh, for, for, for that enablement or did you just bank on the fact that you have enough talents you have enough know-how. You, you, have, you have worked for years in this field. Maybe you've taught for years in this field. And you think for some odd reason that you can go into this day or into this teaching session or into this workplace without a fresh anointing of God on your life. And, and, and to think of God in the sense of he's a secondary need. He's in my toolbox. And if I need to pull God out... And, and have him, that, that is a wrong concept of God, and you need the Spirit of God to change your thinking here tonight. God, does, God is not a tool that you pull out of your toolbox and start measuring things with, oh, I need this much of God for this. God is someone who is the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you that you need his enablement every single day. And that goes for work, that goes for teaching, that goes for every single portion of your life. You need the enablement. You need a fresh anointing of God. And David now, who knows that, who has come back to that, he will now reign over Judah, the southern portion of Israel there, uh, for seven and a half years. And so he goes to Hebron there. He gets anointed, and he hears who buried Saul there, the men of Jabesh-Gilead. And so David now sends messengers to Jabesh Gilead, and he says he wants to praise them. And that's not a small trip. Uh, from Hebron to Jabesh Gilead, which is in the northern part of Israel, that's a, if you drew a line straight across uh, from, from, the, from the southern portion of the map up there, that's 70 miles. And that's, that's some hard terrain as well. So they don't have cars back then, okay? They weren't flying. They, they weren't, this, was, this was a long trip, but he was, he was determined to honor these people and thank them for honoring the Lord's anointed by what they did. If you forget what they did, they, they took men and they went in uh, to the, to the, to the uh, temple of the Philistines where they had hung the bodies and the armor of Saul and they had recovered those and did a proper burial. They had burned the bodies. Uh, unfortunately, they had to do that so that they wouldn't be mutilated anymore. And, and they, they, they honored the men that way by burying them. But now, while that's happening in Judah, as David is being, as he's being honored and, and brought to kingship in southern Judah, we find something happening in Israel in verse 8. Verse 8 says, But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of, the Saul, of Saul's host, took Ishibosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. Abner was an evil man. He was not a good man at all. And, and he knew, as we're going to see here in, 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 the, in the coming chapters, he knew what God wanted. He knew that God wanted to turn the kingdom over to David, and he was bucking it. And when you get in the way of God's plan, it is not a good thing for you. Verse 9 and made him king, that's Ishibosheth, and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. Ishibosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David, and the time of David was, was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. 
That's a lot of waiting. You talk about waiting on God and allowing God to do things seven years and six months. But wait, it says that a Shibosheth was only reigning for two years. So where's the difference there? Well, if you recall, the Philistines, when, when Samuel uh, was, was brought up, I believe, by the Lord and delivered that prophecy to, to uh, Saul, he said as one of those judgments that the Philistines were going to come over the land, they were going to push Israel out, and they were going to dwell in their cities. And that's exactly what happened. And so Abner, for the first five and a half years roughly, uh, he was trying to push back the enemy and, and get a spot for, for a Shibosheth to reign. And all that time, while David is waiting and trusting God and not taking things into his own hands, you know what he is? He's at rest. He's at rest. And we're going to see glimpses of that rest throughout this horrible time. Glimpses of, of him depending on God all during this time, these seven and a half years. And so Abner pushes them out. Ishibosheth comes into reign, but Ishibosheth was only a puppet king. He was really there as Abner was paving the way, trying to make Saul's house still in kingship there. And, and Abner, I don't know why he was doing this. Maybe he was doing it just so that he could retain his position or whatnot. But what happens in verse 12 is they start coming to Gibeon. And Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ashibosheth, the Saul, went from Mehanahem to Gibeon. So he's now anointed him king. And I'm going to summarize the next few verses here where Abner now comes in, 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 uh, in, in into a battle with Joab, who is the captain of the host of, of David there. And he comes in to, in to fight him, and uh, Joab, he tells Joab, you know, why don't you send 12 men to fight me over across the, the bank there? And, and so Joab and Abner both send 12 men to fight off against each other, they say in the, in the passage here, to play with one another. Well, I'm telling you, they were not playing twiddlywinks. Twiddly they were fighting. And they fought to the death. And these 12 men from Abner and 12 men from David's side fought, and they ended up killing each other. And all 24 men died, and a whole battle ensued. And we come now to verse 22, and it says, And Abner said again to Ashiel, Turn thee aside from following me. I'm sorry, back up to verse 17. Verse 17, And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zeriah there, Joab and Abishai and Ashiel. Who is Zeriah? That's what we, that's what we would wonder. Why is, why is God putting this in Scripture for us? Why should we know this? Zeriah was the sister of David. And the way we find that out is in First, uh, First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 16. It lists out David's sisters. You didn't know David had some sisters. And so in the, in the genealogy there, uh, these were the three sons of Zariah, his sister. So these three boys were nephews of, of, of David. And that's going to come up here in the future. Joab and Abishai, uh, we know pretty well. Joab was the strong leader or commander uh, in David's army throughout his reign. Abishai, we've already seen in, in 1 Samuel, he was the man that came alongside David and took the spear and the water jug 
from, from Saul in the middle of the host and came out and, and yelled and, and, and told Saul uh, what was done and that they could have killed him. Ashiel is a man that's going to die here pretty soon. And he's known for his speed and agility, but he's not going to stay, stay alive very long. At the end of verse 18, it says, And Ashiel was light of foot and as, as a wild roe, as a wild deer. And uh, the men of David are winning the battle. Ashiel says, I'm going to go after Abner, and I'm going to start pursuing him. And, and Abner's losing the battle. He's fleeing for his life. He says, go kill Go kill uh, somebody else. Don't, don't uh, come after me. And Abner was a much more skilled warrior than Ashiel was. He, and, but Ashiel wasn't going to listen. So now we come to verse 22. And Abner says, said again to Ashiel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner with the hinder end of his spear, smote him under the fifth rib, and the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as, as many as came to the place where Ashiel fell down and died stood still. Joab also and Abishai pursued after Abner, and the sun went down, and when they were come to the hill of Ammah, that, that lieth before Gaia, by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop and stood on the top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the, in the latter end? How long shall it be then, ere thou bid the people returning from following their brethren? And here Abner is trying to call a truce between him and Joab. He knows he's losing mightily and that David's army is winning uh, mightily. And so Joab says in verse 27, As God liveth, unless thou hast spoken, surely in the morning the people had gone up every one from following his brother. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the people stood still and pursued after Israel no more, neither fought they any more. So a truce is called here. Let's read the rest of the chapter now and see how it ends. And Abner and his men walked all that night through the plain and passed over Jordan and went through all Bithron and they came to Mahanaim. And Joab returned from following Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants 19 men and Ashiel. So 20 men. Okay, but the servants of, of David had smitten of Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that 303 score men died. 360 men died on their side versus the 20 that, that, uh, that they had slain. So that's a huge difference in casualties. Um, and verse 32 now. And they took up Ashiel and buried him in the sepulcher, of his father, which was in Bethlehem, and Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at break of day. Now, I want you to keep in mind that this is all happening now during this seven and a half year reign of David, of southern Judah. And David is at rest in God, 
and he's not rushing to siege the kingdom of Israel at all. He's allowing God to work things out for his good. And he's allowing God to fight his battles and, and only fight the battles that God tells him to fight. And we will, we're going to end tonight just by looking at the first verse of chapter 3. What does it say? Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. God was blessing David and, and would bring him to sit on the throne and David was allowing God to make that pathway plain for him. He wasn't trying to, trying to uh, find it according to human reason. So the application here for us tonight, I believe, is very simple. It's what I said before. There is rest to be found in restless times when our dependence and our patience is, is, is taken from the Lord. God, God's will for every single person here tonight is that we daily be at rest in Him. We find rest in, in, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So my questions for you tonight are simply this. Are you seeking God? As David was in verse 1, are you inquiring of God? Or do you think, oh, this thing that I'm doing is so simple, you know, I, I, don't, even need, I don't even need God. It, David could have said that, oh, this, this thing is humanly very simple and straightforward. Saul's dead. I need to march in and save the day. And that's really oftentimes where we lose our relationship with God when we just start doing this. We start being Superman in our own situations and we think we are the ones that need to step up and, and do better and, and conquer when it's really the other way around. We need to find our rest in Him during those restless times. The other thing is, are you looking for a fresh anointing of God? Did you know that you need a fresh anointing of God coming here tonight what are we going to do here in a few minutes we're going to pray and I'm telling you if you don't have a fresh anointing on you if you're not depending on God to pray you're going to end up doing exactly what we just spoke of trying to pray in your own power the only way that we can have a good prayer meeting tonight is if each person in here cries out to God and says God I need a fresh anointing of you I need a fresh anointing of you I need to have my dependence on you to pray and so I, I trust that's going to be our hearts here tonight. May God give us hearts that are craving fellowship with him. And it's only when that happens that we can truly have rest in restless times. Let's pray. We'll take a few minutes to pray together.